Welcome to Equiosity, the podcast about all things equine with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Kurland. I'm the author of The Click That Teaches, a step-by-step guide in pictures, and many other books and DVDs on clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. And today we are joined also by Lucy Butler. Lucy is a high school teacher who joined us last last fall, I think it was the uh, late in the fall last year, to share with us some of the work that she's been doing in her classroom in conjunction with uh, Dr. Claire St. Peter and several of coaches that, that Claire introduced her to. And we said at the time it was such a fascinating conversation that we needed to touch base again at the end of the school year to find out how this this great natural experiment, which is what you've been involved in, yeah. this natural experiment, how it is evolving now that you've had a full school year to reflect. So, and Lucy, you're is also a horse person. So tied, these things are tied together. So there's this tying together of what you learn from the horses that transfers to the classroom and then what you learn from the classroom and this incredible year you've been having that comes back to the horses. So who knows where this conversation will take us, but I'm sure it will take us to some interesting things. So true. And I, I love, Alex, that it sort of started from the horses and then left to the classroom for me. I think that's really interesting yes. uh, that it kind of went in that direction. <laughs> so. so I think we should we should go back a little bit to the start of last year, because not everyone will have listened to your podcast or maybe that it's been you know six months since they've listened to it. So tell us um, again the teaching situation that you were asked to do, undertake at the start of last year, and then bring us up to date through the year. Certainly. So at the beginning of the school year, this school year, uh, at the end of last summer, my boss approached me about working with our ninth grade repeaters. So I would have a um, class of ninth grade students who had failed last year. And, and last year, the 2020-2021 the school year um, was, a uh, for many students across the country, was a year of real disruption because of COVID or ongoing disruption. And for our students, the school where I teach, it had been um, all hybrid learning where they were in school only two days a week and then two days online and one day that was sort of um, up in the air. So um, sort of like a coach yourself day <laughs> that these kids had. So I, we had a very high number of students who failed in 2020, 2021. So when we started this school, this past school year, I had 17 uh, ninth graders for whom this was uh, their second ninth grade year. I actually had one that would have been her that was her second, sorry, her third ninth grade year. I had a, wow. had a two-peter and a three-peter. Um, so those were students whom COVID definitely hit even harder. There was obviously some other underlying issues as well. Um, but I, I started the year with 17 of these students. And, and my boss just said to me, you know, you, you'll have one period a day with them. That's 45 minutes to try to, you know, basically triage these kiddos, uh, try to get them organized motivated, <laughs> engaged, <laughs> I mean, you know, like when I look back on it now, I think, oh my goodness. Yes. Um, to do what, <laughs> let's see. Uh, so that's 
um, ninth grade. So to do what nine years of schooling had failed yeah. to do. Yes. yes. Yeah. In you know, 45 funny, minutes. Yeah. In, in special education, I'm a special educator. And in special education, we always talk about how we're running the race from behind. So we have to be twice as good at what we do um, at, you know, yeah. no shade to our, our colleagues who are teaching content, <laughs> but we have to really understand learning. And one of the things that was really interesting for me this year was to realize how little I think, you know, speaking very generally, but how little, at least in teacher training, we're taught about actual processes of learning. Um, I just was constantly remarking, I, I had to learn this through the animal world and through behavior analysis. Yes. And I, my constant refrain was teachers are starving for this. They need this um, because we're actually talking about building behaviors in, in, in our pond, <laughs> the yes. pond I share with yes, you guys. You, yes, <laughs> of course in, you are. You're in, starting in education. At, yeah, mm. <laughs> yeah, that is, that is what you're doing in school. Yes. Yeah. But that's not, that's, you know, again, generally speaking, and in, in my experience, that isn't a huge part of the conversation in school settings. We aren't talking about beha building behaviors and how do you do that? What's the most effective and efficient ways to do that? So, you know, at the beginning of this, this past school year, that's essentially what my district and my boss were tasking me with was go in and as absolutely expediently as possible, build all the behaviors, like you said, that they you know, we, one would hope they had built over, you know, nine years of schooling and, and so. And, and you're not just working with, say, a, a naive learner, a child who has had not, no exposure to school and is, and, and now is turning up on your doorstep, eager to learn. You're dealing with students who are just riddled with uh, negative experiences in in the school situation. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah, they they came with this history of failure. Some of them, it was a new history and a new experience. They had done okay before in their previous settings. You know, the other thing to remember is they're jumping from middle school to high school as well. So there's always a big, you know, gap that that kids have to make that they have to bridge that. For some kids, it's going to be greater, but some of them, they, they've had a history of, of school struggle. So, you know, when I think about from the equine perspective, and I think about those horses that have been passed around and around and around and around, and, yes. and people don't know how to focus on building behavior. And, you know, it's, it's very similar. <laughs> so, yes. And you expect, similar. you expect the horse to be able to stand still to be groomed, you expect the child to be able to sit in a desk for an extended period of time and to pay attention. Yes. We, <laughs> yes, we expect similar things because after all, you're in ninth grade, you should be able to do this. You should by know now. this by now. You should yeah. know how to stand for the, the trimmer because how long have you been yes. having your feet trimmed? You know? Yes. Yeah. You're you yeah. you must be a bad horse. There's something yes wrong with you. You're yes. stubborn. You're resistant. You are a bad <laughs> individual. Yes. And I'm, I'm laughing because I'm, I'm, you can just easily substitute my, my kiddos in there. Yes. <laughs> These are the, I have the motley crew, you know. <laughs> Sometimes people too may not label their horses bad, but they'll feel that the past is so, um, has, damage in a way the horse so much that they don't feel they can break through the, the past. 
Yeah. Oh, you know, he's had this in the past. This happened, this accident, this sickness where he had to have his leg, um, whatever. And it was very, it hurt him a lot or... Maybe he was beaten because I adopted him from a rescue. So they may yeah. not say he's bad, but they just feel like the past is permanent. We make excuses. Yes. And it mm -hmm. cannot be changed. And it cannot be changed. I think of it like the, the rescued horse syndrome where mm. you someone has had a horse for, I don't know, 10, 12, 15 years. And the first thing you hear about the horse is he's a rescue. Or the first thing you hear about the dog is he's a rescue. Well, he was rescued when he was eight weeks Talk old. Talk about labels. And I think that's code word for like, I don't know how to teach him something new. I don't yeah. know how to, you know, for the handler or the that's teacher. I don't know how, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I have a skill deficit mm. in yes. this, you know, and in, in being able to address mm. it. So um, that was a, a, such a huge takeaway for me over the course of the year is, you know, I, I had such an incredible gift in the coaching that I received from Claire's former students, now PhDs in their own right, and from, from Claire from times that we connected. But I wouldn't have, I really wouldn't have known often what to do, you know. So, you know, one thing I should really emphasize and um, it's just... I was a learner too during the whole thing. So there was all these levels of, <laughs> of learning going on and, and teaching going on. So, so you, you launched into the start of the year from the launching pad of science camp, which connected you with uh, Dr. Claire St. Peter. And then you, you jumped into this natural experiment. There was 45 minutes a day with a class full of children who were repeaters. Yeah, you know, it was interesting because uh, some of the beginning of that jumping in was just sort of sorting out, you know, it, it, as you're describing a natural experiment, I think that's a really good way to put it because the um, coaches I was working with, they were having, they, it wasn't like they had a curriculum that they were going to kind of coach me through. This was really, truly applied behavior analysis principles in the sense that we had to sort of quickly hit the ground running and say, what's the environment? Who are these learners? What do they need? <laughs> How are we yeah. going to do it? <laughs> you know, it was, it was, um, <laughs> it was not an easy um, and very like straightforward, but a lot of the same principles that we talk about in our training with our horses applied, like making a plan and assessing the environment. So what is the environment? We have 45 minutes every single day. And I had that set of learners until mid-December. So I had that, you know, close to 90 days, something like that, to work with those students. And who are these kids? That was a little tricky because, you know, you can have conversations with them and, and sort of figure out what, what led you to this point. But they're teenagers. They aren't going to sit down and be like, well, I really think it's the fact that I struggle with actually getting myself in the building because I have X, Y, and Z going on in my home life. You know, you had to sort of start to figure out who the learners were and, and discover what skills they had and what skills were missing. So that took, you know, just, just traveling along and learning as you go, sort of some discovery, I guess, and then figuring out what was going to you know, what was actually going to work for like reinforcers and, you know, the structure and the environment, the learning environment itself and, and 
you know, so all of that took discovery is the way I would yes. put it. So some, some time to figure it out. But all, of, all along, we were able to apply those principles of learning to each sort of new situation that would arise. So the, the, we kind of sort of started to hit stride. You know, I started out with a really basic idea about reinforcers. I knew I wanted to use positive reinforcement and constructional design. <laughs> and I had to build all these other skills to make them successful in all their other classes. I should say that the class itself met for 45 minutes. What we're supposed to be doing is like an academic support class. So my job would be to help all these diverse kids with their homework for other classes and then try to build those skills that are maybe universal to being a good learner in a, in a school setting a good human learner in a school setting. So I kind of started with some vague notion of like, like you said, Alex, they should be able to sit still in a desk. They should be able to um, come into the classroom, come into the classroom that came up (laughs) appropriately. (laughs) Sitting in a desk, sitting still came up appropriately. Attend, you know, so one of the interesting things that emerged, interestingly enough, it emerged by like, March, maybe it took a while, but we realized there were sort of four basic categories of where students kind of show up from the beginning and they were body in the building. Is this a kid who can even do focus on attendance? So I had a lot of kids that their the biggest obstacle was just getting them in the building. So body in the building and then like body in the seat, like mind, is your, are you even able to just be in the classroom? And then the next one, what, uh, yeah, that was like attention too. It wasn't body in the seat was like, not like, can you sit there and sit on your phone? Cause I had no. kids who were doing that, but can you sit there and actually just be in the room and be attentive? The third one was pencil to paper. Can you just produce some work? We didn't even care if it was anything. It was like, can you go through the motion of completing something and turn it in? And then the fourth one um, was actually to worry about accuracy of work. So that started to emerge was where roughly where are these kids falling into these categories? And then once we kind of figured that out, we were able to drill down on actually building the skills that they might need. And a really exciting part was was in, inviting the kids into that process of building the skills and tracking the development of their skill. They actually would get pretty excited when we let them be where they were and focus just on that skill. So for example, a kid who's really struggled with attendance. Yeah, I had one student that just just being in the building for him, attendance, and there were some pretty significant factors going on in his home situation and with the adults in his household that didn't make it easy for him to get there. But when he was just given permission to just experience the success of getting in the building, and that's all he needed to worry about, I mean, what a big difference it made for him to just focus on that. And, you know, so some of it was also you know, you go into a school environment and kids are asked to do everything, you know, to do it well, to do all of it well, and to create some space and some protection around letting them be where they, where they are and saying like, if that is okay, that, and you can be successful just at that spot, which is, I think really what we try to do when we're thin slicing for our equine learners, we're, we're protecting and pushing out some of that other noise about where everyone thinks a horse should be. It's the same thing with the kids. Like, you you know, I would say to the student all the time, you just need to to be in the building. And, and we had a rough little table of five days a week and he would check off his 
days that he was in the building and it was so you know rewarding for him to accomplish a goal and and to be successful and in a way you could trace that back to loopy training because if that loop of getting into the building is not clean it's not you know there's no point to getting to the rest of it and Dominique to your point we saw the other piece of loopy training which is once that loop is clean they're naturally ready for the next piece and it will emerge because for that kid we had this really great moment when he said to me he's like miss look, I, I got, you know, this, this great grade on this assignment and, and I work in a career in tech. So in his shop area, so it was in um, his machine shop, something they, they did in class. And he's like, we do this every quarter and I've never done this well on this assignment. And I was like, that's awesome. What do you think, you know, was the difference? And he said, well, you have to be here to do it. And I'm never here. And I was here. Mm. <laughs> he was like, and I did awesome. And, you know, I, I was laughing inside, like, well, of course, right? But for that student, that was a totally authentic realization that just by coming in the building, mm. just by getting there, he, he did great. And it's not like he um, had to work really hard on that assignment because he didn't have the skill. He actually had the ability already, but what had kept him from it before was just being present. And it was, um, I think, very, that was very reinforcing for him to, to put the two together oh, I'm here. Oh, I was successful. And it was like a double success, you mm. know, because we were, we were reinforcing the, the attendance a lot. And then that other piece was just like a bonus reinforcer that just emerged. So, you know, I th- and I think it made a big impact on him as an organic discovery instead of yes. some adult waving their finger mm. and saying, if you were here, you'd do well, you know, so... Yeah, and you think about that in terms of a life skill at work. If you just turn up, you're ahead of the game. Yeah. You know, but if you don't turn up for your shift, you're going to be fired. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's just, you know, it was huge. And he actually, um, you know, ended up doing better than he's ever done in his, he was, he was a, a student that I had later in the year. He was not a freshman repeater, but he was a 10th grade repeater and he had done the best he had ever done in his high school career by the last quarter and had really, you know, and it just started with tracking his attendance and making that our focus. It's just, can wow. you come to school? He was fantastic. I see this so often with the horses where you start out by saying, we're just going to, we're just going to look at this one little thing, the horse putting his ears forward. And I can see people rolling their eyes. You know, I want to ride. I want to, you know, I want to jump. <laughs> I want to, I want to, go out on a trail ride and 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 I brought my horse to this clinic I put the horse on a trailer and I and I put all this expensive gas into my gas tank and and <laughs> you're just having me reinforce the horse for putting his ears forward oh. but when you do that when you focus in on this one little thing and there's this success the ripple from that is enormous you know, the longer that, that expression, the longer you stay with an exercise, the more good things you see that it gives you. You start with something that can seem like nothing. Body in the building. Mm-hmm. We're supposed to be teaching academic skills. <laughs> or, you know, and, and, and all you're doing is yeah. saying, wow, you got to the school. You're here. You're here. Yes. You're here. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's, that was probably one of the trickier parts 
for me as, as a learner was just like, I, I, I'm fortunate that I have the, the learning history and the reinforcement history of understanding the power of, you know, what we're talking about, about thin slicing and just repeated success, but in an environment where, you know, colleagues and parents and other people are like, but they're failing or they're da 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 and having to, to really communicate that we're not worrying about that right yeah. now. We're just, it's not even on the table. We're just looking at this little piece. And so there's a lot of like, almost like mm. protecting, you know, you have to really protect the environment and protect the message. You know, it's, it's a little fragile. But it, it's think. not like you're going to stay there either for five years, you know, it won't be about being in the building right. for five years. When a loop is clean, you move on. <laughs> so exactly. Yeah. And they they do it do it organically, you know, because success mm -hmm. breeds more success. And they want to feel that success. And that was another part is the how the engagement and the motivation can just start to happen so naturally. So you know that was interesting how I think I started to say, I started the year thinking about, well, what am I going to do for my reinforcers? And I, <laughs> I had like a, a really basic level thinking of like, you know, okay, well, with my horse, I use a hay pellet and <laughs> she likes food. So I had a candy basket and I did do, you know, a sort of a, a very, you know, not, not a, a academically informed, like preference assessment, but a basic preference assessment with the kids where I had like a worksheet that had different types of candy. It was a digital one. So they could like drag their favorites into one box and the ones that were less preferred. And then what kind of TV shows do you like? That kind of thing. And I just learned about what they, what they were interested in and what they're excited about. And I had a, a sticker basket, vinyl stickers that the kids can put on their water bottles and on their their laptops they they like the vinyl stickers um so i found all these little affordable easy to <laughs> easy to you know hand out and reinforce to these to these kids but what uh, what really emerged as the most powerful reinforcer was success so um ended up developing a way to make success on their grade sheet every week really salient so just every time they could raise a grade by one point that was called out you brought your grade up by one point, you brought it up by five, by three, whatever. So that became like the most powerful reinforcer. And I also discovered that the community reinforcement and the sense of belonging were really powerful too. So I started on Fridays, we would do like a big points roundup and put up on projected on the board, everybody who got point increases in which classes. And they just, you know, it's, it was like double the reinforcer because it was socially reinforced. And that, that sense of like, I, I did well and I did well with all these other people, it was huge. <laughs> so success was a huge reinforcer, which I think yeah. in terms of how am I going to change their behavior? What a huge discovery that is. Because if you'd stayed with, let me pass mm -hmm. out the tokens. It only goes so far. It's, it's not that they didn't appreciate that and find that fun it was great for like on the spot you're you're you really put in a lot of effort on this assignment I see you working here's a sticker oh thanks miss you know like little little yeah. thing but the real like it the the 
heat, so to speak, really got turned up and we started really cooking when, when they started to see themselves as being successful. And the funny thing is all it requires of the teachers, you know, it's very typical in an academic support class to try to show the kids, oh, here's your grades this week. Here's how you're doing. And you usually go, but what's going on in English? You're failing, you know, and, and there's like a, it's a nag and, yeah. or it's an aversive, you know, you do this mixture of, uh, I'm going to, um, you know, swat you a little about the F's and then, you know, some people even be like, well, in the C, you could do better with the C. And instead it's just, we only look at the, the improvement. We only look at the gain. And we also sort of figured out to refine as I went along. So I'd call out all the point increases, but then anything that was a cusp between raising a grade, yes. you know, up a grade level um, from like an F, to, we don't have Ds. So from an F to a C or a B to an A or whatever, we call those out and say like, look, it's only three points away. So it was about showing the kids like, well, you gained all these points in these other classes and you're so close to like a big gain in this one. So, so we started to use this to, to get them thinking about what's possible, I think, um, and making it more, it was kind of gamified in a way. Um, I think it really resonated for all these yeah. kids who play video games too. Suddenly school started to become a little like a, this points game. So that, that was, that was pretty exciting when we hit on that and, and we started to have this built-in set of reinforcers that were more powerful than any external thing I could, you know, go <laughs> to the dollar store and pick yeah. up or Amazon. <laughs> so, so that was huge. And then, you know, the other big piece of it was, um, about mid-year, I started to teach them about SMART goals and writing SMART goals. So there was a huge learning component for me. So before we get to that, because that, that's coming into the second half of the year, correct? So where we yeah. left people <laughs> in the last podcast yes. in <laughs> the last fall was the first half of the school year was coming to a close. You'd made these yeah. huge discoveries about using uh, their success as a reinforcer. You were seeing the children having success and were getting just some amazing feedback from them. And that your the first half of your experiment was coming to a close and there was going to be a major change. Yes. <laughs> so now bring us up to date in terms of what happened okay. as you moved into the second half of the year. And, and that's when we get to the SMART goals and so on. Yes. Okay. So yes, that's true. Like right around Christmas break, the holiday break, basically the class schedule changed for these kids. So as I mentioned, we're a career and tech school and all of these kids had already done what we call like the shop rotation, where they go through and experience the shops. And that's why they were with me. They've already experienced all the shops. And then after the new year, all the ninth graders have now chosen the shop that they're going to be in for the rest of their high school career. And so they needed to go back to that first period shop class. It's when all ninth graders have, have shops. So they were leaving me. So what we ended up with was a kind of tiered situation. I had two, I had, let me think of how many I had all together two, one, two. I had five all together who were going to continue with me. And my original group of 17 dwindled, dwindled down to 13 
pretty early in the school year because we had a couple of kids who um, just didn't show up to school. So of that original group of 13 that finished up through December, five were going to continue with me. The rest of them either went to a complete reversal. They had no academic support class or they had an academic support class with a totally different person. So I had two who continued with me yep. almost full time. <laughs> I, I, I had to share them with another teacher. So I didn't get them for a full, we're on a um, alternating week schedule. So we think of like five days and five days in our alternating weeks. So I didn't get them for a true full time, but pretty close. And then my other three were part-time that I, that I had them. I saw them every other week. So, you know, the theory going into it was we have full reversal, partial environment, and then as close to full as you can get. Which is why this is truly a natural experiment. Yeah. Because you have these different groups, you can compare across groups how they performed. Yeah. And, and you know, in the, the full reversal was really like an AB an AB reversal. It was, you know, yes. how are they going to do? And it must have been just in one sense, just sort of heartbreaking to think these are children who were succeeding, who were doing really well. And now and oh, yeah. they had a taste of what it's like to succeed. And now they're going to be thrown back into the environment in which they had been struggling before. Yeah, kind of like it turned out, I, I had said this at the time that I was worried about it. And I'll tell you that some of it was kind of crushing, actually, and heartbreaking. I had worried that would be the case. And it, you know, it's, you know, it doesn't, <laughs> it, it wasn't a big mystery. You can kind of imagine what would happen. Yeah. And I could tell you more about that in a Yeah, minute. well, I'm, yeah. I'm interested in that because they they did learn things uh, before they were put back in that environment. And yeah. so I think it's, it's an interesting part too. Do we talk about it now is that, or is that, getting, is that getting ahead of the story? <laughs> well, relatedly, what I was going to say is what was really interesting at the time, and this is just to, to kind of go back to what I was saying about the sort of what's obvious to, to folks who are really steeped in behavior analysis or, you know, and who are either applying it as a trainer or who are studying it, it's like, we would go, oh my God, you're reversing the environment. So we're going to assume that old behaviors are going to come back. We're not going to necessarily assume that the behaviors have been generalized, you know, to all these other environments. So I was going, okay, here we go. You know, this is what's going to happen. And the reaction of my boss was like, well, you know, we'll see if you taught them anything. <laughs> I was like, wow, okay. <laughs> that, that's interesting because I had, you know, three months with them and for those 45 minutes and we've just pulled the rug out under them and thrown them into this environment that's, you know, yes. pretty different, I would say, <laughs> pretty drastically different and, and trying to communicate that in, in a way that, you know, a person who, who, doesn't have that background and that perspective can understand because it's, it's very much, a, it seems so classic to me of what like our sort of education world thinks like, you know, you've, they've gone through the class and the skills have been sort of poured into them or mm -hmm. riveted onto them. And now they know, and, you know, there's so much more to building a repertoire and then extending and generalizing that repertoire into other environments. And, and even just thinking about how the environment yes. is involved in 
and people's behavior, it's mm-hmm. just sort of not on the radar. So, so that was really interesting because it, they, there was a sort of different reaction to, well, mm. they should know how to do everything now. Yeah. And they should be resilient learners and be able to transfer what they've learned to multiple environments and to resist the old triggers and to resist all of the negative energy around them and the punishing behavior, et cetera, et cetera. They should be able to do all that now yeah. with a yeah. smile on their face. Right, right. And, you know, and it's in back to our, you know, parallels in the horse and, and animal world. It's like the, the classic one you always hear when you have a puppy. Oh, I taught them sit and they know sit. Well, they know sit in the family room. Yes. You know, and I go out in the backyard and there's all these distractions and the world is huge. And I'm saying, sit, sit, sit. <laughs> and the puppy's running around or, or my horse that I've worked so diligently with on this behavior at home. And the minute we get off farm and we, we go someplace new, yeah. you know, they, they, yeah. they regress, you know, I, I, I was walking around going, when you're stressed, <laughs> you regress. I <laughs> keep telling everybody like, this is not, this is not a mystery, but <laughs> But there we were. So, you know, the the outcome for my my seven who um, who went to a full reversal of environment was not good. Um, I had a few who were in academic support classes that got, you know, some more some 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 supports, and so they they didn't tank. But one of one one of them, which was just absolutely heartbreaking for me, he had gotten himself all the way up to, I want to say like a 3.0 or a 3.2 or something like that was a huge accomplishment for him. And, and just, you know, anecdotally, he was just so much, he was so bright and engaged and, and, you know, alive in the classroom. And I just watched him. I would check in with him as the year went on and he would sometimes come and seek me out and ask for some help and stuff. And I just watched him just his affect. I mean, he just got more and more and more depressed. And then it was like really, really quickly after the school year ended, maybe a day or two after the school year ended, uh, notification that he withdrew from our wow. school. So I had two like that, that, that were, that failed, they ended up failing for the rest of the year and then, mm-hmm. and then withdrew from the program. Um, so that was heartbreaking. Yeah, that is heartbreaking. Because he, he had this glimmer of success and hope that could have completely transformed his life. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It was really painful to, to see that just unfold. I think, I think for me, like I was tracking everybody's grades so I could just watch it and graphing it. <clears throat> so you could just see the, the, but um, more than that was watching his affect and seeing him just just look he just looked not not vibrant not healthy not happy at the end of the year so that was really tough you know this makes me think of some dog trainers you hear sometimes who help you know they're called to help with what people label as difficult dogs and they do a lot of good work but when the dogs go back in their homes in their environment you know the old behaviors come back and Sometimes it doesn't end very well. Yeah, and and that's like a bigger discussion we started to have towards the end of the year at school is how do you, I, I started talking with my colleagues about, well, we need to extend the environment out 
so that it's not just in this one classroom. We have to start pushing the environment. But I think out. it can be difficult for professionals to go through that over and over and over again. There's a point yeah. where it affects the, the professional. Mm. Yeah, you can't mm. keep seeing it happen over and over again. It's, it's mm -hmm. just gut, gutting, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's really the other hard. Groups, then. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yes, the other groups are much happier. So of my three who were part-timer, part-time, one of them was not coming. Uh, he had a body in the building behavior we need to build. And that was a huge group effort. It ended up being uh, one of the guidance counselors was able to really get through to him. And then he started coming. And so by the end of the school year, he wasn't going to pass. He's going to be a repeater again but his attendance was just exponentially better. So we were able to end with a kid who was coming to school five days a week and they avoided truancy court and family court and all of that, because that had been, you know, that had been a reality for this family. And, and there's, you know, in the state of Rhode Island, the family gets charged $50 a day that for every day that the kid is absent after they hit the official truant number. And that was going to be an incredible financial burden. So, you know, that had a ripple effect beyond just his education. His grandmother was the primary caregiver and the grandmother was just really, really yeah. having a hard time and stressed out and really freaked out by that. So, so that was successful. And then the other two were my two Peter and my three Peter. And I am proud to say that both of them are going to be sophomores next year. So Excellent. they passed their year <laughs> and, and I mean, you know, it was so cool, especially the three Peter, she just, she wrote me the nicest email about how she never thought she, she always thought she'd drop out of high school, but she's like, I'm going to be a sophomore and I know how to do school. I mean, we have, we have room to grow, but she's, she's, she figured out body in the building, mind in the classroom, pencil to paper. And so next year, if we can keep her working on actual accuracy of, of her skills, then she'll really yes. be, you know, ready to fly <laughs> from the nest. So I'm not quite ready to give it to, to totally let her out into that, that big, bad environment. But just we were so, so excited yes. for those two to, to move on. Um, so I think that was huge. And then my, my two that were in the full time, they're the ones that actually, I think, they can totally handle themselves in the environment now. You know, they ended up having both of them finish the year with all A's and B's. Wow. And yeah, I mean, these were kids that were, you know, completely failed last year. So all A's and B's. And my, my one kiddo who her goal, like mid-year was to learn to do homework. She kept saying, I, I literally don't know how to do it. So I had worked with her a lot on mini goals and you know, we were breaking things down into little chunks and stuff and using the goal setting. And then at the end of the year, I said to her, so, you know, you're getting ready for finals. Do you need some help coming up with a plan for finals? And she was like, miss, I already have a full plan for studying and all my study guides. Like I got this. Wow. So it was really cool to see her go from, I don't know how to do homework mm. to like back off. <laughs> I know I already got it. I know how to to prep for my finals. And I was so proud of her. She, you know, she would walk in and be like, I did homework over the weekend and I don't have anything to worry about because I'm all done with my work. You know, she'd have these little discoveries about how to manage her time that were, you know, so cool and gratifying to see her finding her own success and then applying it. 
So, so that was, that was amazing. So of the five I had, all of them ended really well. More than really well, I would say. Yeah, I agree. I think it's, it was life-changing for, you know, certainly my two who were the most vulnerable. I think, you know, I think both of them are, their likelihood of them staying in school and graduating is yes. far better. You know, <laughs> I really think so. I, I get worried that if I, you know, if, again, if you pull the rug out on the environment too soon, they're still pretty vulnerable, but um, they've had such a major success, something they really thought no. they could not do, they were able to do. Their success wasn't imposed from the outside. They learned how to do the skills that are needed to succeed. Yeah, I think for a lot of them, this idea, you know, you go from just like a reinforcement history of failure to then wrapping it up into your own identity. And it, it would be interesting to know, I don't, I don't, I guess animals, maybe they don't do this. I don't know. I don't know what an animal self-concept is, but certainly with humans, you know, especially with teenagers, because that is so much what that developmental stage is about is discovering and, and sort of solidifying your sense of self and your, your ego. And so they're wrapped up with this idea that I can't, I'm the failure, whatever. And it starts with them first wanting to, you know, I want to be successful, but you have to feel safe enough to do that. So that's where like those mini successes, every little point drives home the fact that like you can, you can do it. And it's going to happen in little tiny bits. And those little bits are not too much. And it's just through repeating little tiny successes over and over again, they, they, they move a mountain and they moved it for themselves. And then they go, you know, here I, here I am. I think we see in our animals when they feel competent, you know, they, when, when they don't know the answers, some of them will quit, but when they do know the answers, Mm -hmm. they do know what to do. You can, you can see it. You can see that they're, they are enjoying it. They know, you know, how to get to the reinforcer. So I don't know if it's part of their side. I don't know if they, they feel like, oh, I'm a competent horse. But in a way, I kind of feel they, I can see yeah. that they, they're close to that, you know? Well, I, I think you can tie it back into that sense of safety and belonging. Like, you know, when, when the horse feels competent and okay, they're safe and they're relaxed and they're, you know, fundamentally okay. And I see that with my students. And they know how to access the reinforcer. Yes, they know what to expect and what's going on in the environment. That That is a, a way of describing competency, yeah. right? Is yes. Like I feel comfortable and knowledgeable and I know how to engage in this environment. Yes. And they will keep, they'll, they'll keep trying. They'll keep offering behavior instead mm-hmm. of, you know, in the horse's case, you know, looking off into the distance or, oh, I must go sniff that manure pile and or the the (laughs) teenagers I must stare at my cell phone you know it's sort of this a reflection different Mm -hmm. different forms the behavior takes but very similar and I I certainly love what you said about you know these small steps can move a mountain they did they certainly did it's amazing and and that your point about the continued willing to try so the resiliency of the learner this, the three Peter, the student who this was 
this year had been wow. her third freshman year. I mean, think about how <laughs> it's just really a lot, right? She did not have the easiest year either. She, you know, remember that there was still COVID going around. She got quarantined and was out for a number of days. She got, then she got COVID and was out and there was nothing in place this year to help kids when they were out for those stretches of time. It was just at the mercy of teachers who were, you know, sending work home or trying to help. And I was as like a support teacher, I was running around and packaging up her work and trying to help her. And she, uh, she got into a little bit of a argument with someone and got in trouble for a few days. She's, she's, a, she's a little bit of a scrapper. So we had a, a little behavior incident that resulted in her being out for a few days. But man, when she would come back kid, she just, she didn't quit. She just kept going and trying and, you know, pairing that with, with seeing that she could even have those setbacks, but she could keep coming back. Mm, I think yeah, that was very important too, is that she realized she was, you know, she was really able to yes. um, weather a lot, which was just very different than in the past. I had her last year in a, in a content area classroom and she just didn't engage at all. Wow. This year, it's just night wow. and day. Then you told me about so. the, the, and this may, may be the body in the building one, the boy who had the bicycle was getting to school with the bicycle yes 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 so he's he's one of my second half of the year kids that I worked with and he's the one who had the realization that he got this great grade in the shop class because he was coming to school um, and a lot of the reason he was struggling with attendance had to do with what was going on at home and being able to get to the building but he he rode his bike for over an hour in the rain to get to school one day just to be body in the building. So in a number of times he, he rode to school, we found out he was taking his bicycle in, but that one day it was pouring out. He showed up soaking wet. <laughs> we, we had to like, we, we have a, a nursing program. So we found him scrubs from the nursing program. And then we used a washer and dryer in the nursing uh, department to get his clothes set for him and, and then send him on his merry way. But I was so blown away. Yeah. What did he say when you arrived? Oh, I'm here. Look at me. I'm soaked. You know, he's a teenager. He was like all delighted that he rode in the rain. <laughs> because, you know, you say, oh, it's body in the building. And all of us who have no, you know, yeah. no inkling of what that really means. We just say, yeah, yeah. He walked through the door. Big deal. He got off the school bus and walked through the door. Big deal. <laughs> no, this child rode his bicycle for an hour. His bicycle. Yeah. To get to the school. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I mean, and it's such a mixed bag because of course, um, myself and my colleague who work with him a lot, we're really, we're really worried about him biking in, uh, in the morning and, and we start at seven 15. So he's coming in. Fortunately it was the springtime. So it was a little lighter, but we were worried about his safety being on a bicycle. Um, but you know, <laughs> Yeah, he, I mean, he had to get himself up and he had to look out the window if it was pouring rain or it looks like it might rain, but I'm still going to go to school. And, and he did. And, and he sought out the reinforcer. He came right to us. He knew we would obviously help him with the wet clothes, but he was I'm like, here. <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> and so we went appropriately nuts to sort of really reinforce that we're so proud of you for getting here. Let's get you all cleaned up and wow. tidied up and everything. So 
Yeah. So yeah. goal setting. Yeah. I, I interrupted you by uh, earlier yes. and said, you know, you've got to <laughs> set the stage for us. So now in the second half of the year, one of the, it was goal setting. I am, of course, going to make you wait to hear about goal setting and the other new tools Lucy learned about in the second half of the school year. But before you go, I have a quick announcement to make, and it's one that's really fun. I'm actually making one of those good news, bad news announcements. And normally when you say that, you're supposed to ask, what do you want to hear first, the good news or the bad news? But since this is really good news, I'm going to begin with the bad news. Dr. Jesus Rosales-Ruiz isn't going to be able to join us for the September science camp. It's nothing to worry about, just a change in his plans, which means that we have to make changes to science camp. So science camp, which was originally scheduled for Labor Day weekend, has now been transformed into dressage camp. And the very good news is that Anya Barron is going to be joining us for one of the afternoon sessions. So that's very exciting indeed. So let me give you the quick details, and then you can look at my website for more of the details. First of all, this is going to be a virtual event. So wherever you are on the planet, you, you will be able to join in. It's going to be held over Labor Day weekend. So it begins Friday, September 2nd, where we have our introductions. And then it runs Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, September 3 through 5 of 2022. And then we're going to meet up again the following weekend for an informal campfire gathering. So the sessions begin on Friday evening, and that's when we go through the introductions and we meet one another, which is an important part of the whole process because it, it enriches the discussions when you know the other people that you're spending the weekend with. And then we meet up for two Zoom sessions each day, Saturday through Monday. And we're going to be taking a deep dive into my favorite topic, which is balance. If you aren't a dressage rider, don't worry. This is not specifically tailored just for those of you who have an interest in dressage. I think you'll see that as we connect the dots between the foundation lessons that we've been talking about a lot lately in these podcasts and classical dressage, you'll see how relevant this work is to all horses and really to many of the other species that people work with. Balance, physical and emotional, is a central pillar that supports all good training. So for our dressage camp deep dive into balance, I'm going to be joined by Michaela Hempen. Most of you know Michaela through her work with Blondie and the Cribbing Project. We won't be talking about cribbing. Instead, Michaela will be sharing the work she's been doing with Blondie to reintroduce her to riding. I know many of you are working with horses who have similar backgrounds to Blondie. You have a horse who others would consider to be, in quotes, well-trained. What they aren't seeing is the tension, the resistance, the unwillingness, the lack of sparkle, the tuning out, the stiff gates that these horses present. But it's so common that we begin to think of this as just, in quotes, normal horse behavior. Well, that's what Blondie was like when Michaela first took her over and started 
working with her outside of the grooming project. You know, stiff, resistant, biting at the saddle as Michaela put the saddle on, not really all that much fun to ride. That was just how she was. And, you know, if anything, people might just say, oh, she's just being a mayor. You know, that sort of label. We've all heard labels like that being applied. Well, Michaela knew that it didn't have to be that way, that she was seeing the product of command-based, punishment-based training, and that this is changeable. So she's been documenting Blondie's reintroduction to riding, and she'll be sharing the video record of this aspect of Blondie's training. So that's going to be a really exciting case history to explore. We're also going to be joined by a Feldenkrais practitioner, by Anita Schnee. If you want to learn more about Anita and the Feldenkrais work, listen to our interview with Anita in episodes 144 and 145. Anita will be using the awareness through movement lessons from the Feldenkrais work to help us understand the significance of the lessons that Michaela is going to be sharing. And then I'll also be taking us through awareness explorations that help to create a direct connection between how you experience your own balance and what you see in the horses. So between the two of us, that means you're not going to be sitting watching a computer screen all day. You're going to be exploring balance through these awareness lessons. And hopefully what will begin to happen is you will connect up the dots between what you are seeing, what you are feeling and experiencing when you work directly with your animals, and then what you experience in terms of your own balance. And then we're going to have the very great privilege of having Anya Baron join us. Anya is a classical dressage rider who is very much for the horse. Pre-COVID, we did a wonderful interview with Anya that was broadcast in episodes 74 through 75. So you can listen to get to that to get a taste of her work. And you can also visit her website to see some of the beautiful, beautiful horses that she works with. Anya is going to help connect the dots to classical riding. Her training is not just incredibly beautiful. Anya understands how to use the gymnastic exercises of classical dressage for the good of the horse. Lateral work isn't done to win ribbons in a, in a dressage test. It's done to help horses heal physically and emotionally. So Anya's going to help us refine our understanding of balance by comparing video of horses moving correctly versus that of horses who have been pushed and compromised to meet the demands of competition. She has some just incredible video that are animations of actual rides. So you can't tell who the rider is. What you're going to see in these animations is the difference between a horse moving correctly in walk, trot, and canter, and the classical movements of Piaf and Passage, and those of actual horses in high-level competition, but whose movements have become irregular and incorrect. And again, you don't have to be a dressage rider to appreciate or understand this work. 
In fact, you don't even have to be a writer. The central theme throughout the weekend is balance, and that's for everybody. Dressage Camp is a virtual event. We're going to be meeting up on Zoom. You don't need to bring your hard hat. You won't be in the arena riding your horse. You don't even need to have a horse. We're going to use this time together to explore balance from the inside out. There will be time, as always, for questions and discussions. We'll have the same follow-us-down-rabbit-holes format that is the hallmark of Science Camp. It's, it's just going to be a fabulous event. So if you're interested, do please visit my website, theclickercenter.com, for all the details, and you can register for Dressage Camp there as well. I hope you'll join us. It's going to be an exciting, one-of-a-kind event. And then next time, do join us as we continue with Lucy through her school year. So train well and have fun with your horses. Thank you.